This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Thinking Differently podcast where we explore the new horizons of our rapidly changing world. I'm Rod Collins, your host for today's podcast. As technological innovations continue to transform the rules for how successful businesses work, we challenge business leaders to rethink how they remain competitive in a digitally transformed marketplace. This week, we are taking a break from our season two series to bring you a bonus episode of the Thinking Differently podcast. We're honored to have as our special guest today, John Hagel, one of the foremost business thinkers of our time. Those of you who are familiar with John's work know that he has a knack for making sense of what is happening in a world that is being radically transformed by accelerating change and increasing complexity. John has recently published a new book, The Journey Beyond Fear, leverage the three pillars of positivity to build your success. This certainly sounds like a spot on topic for our unusual times. Before discussing his new book, a little bit about John. John is an entrepreneur and a most sought after business strategist. A longtime resident of Silicon Valley, he has served as as a partner of McKinsey & Company He established and led Deloitte Center for the Edge, a global research center which identifies emerging business opportunities that should be on every C-suite agenda. John is the author of several best-selling business books. He has been quoted in major business publications, including The Economist, Fortune, Forbes, Business Week, Financial Times, and The Wall Street Journal. John, welcome to the Thinking Differently podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it as well, for sure. All right. Well, let's let's talk about the book. Let's jump in. What is the core message of your new book? And can you talk about the three pillars and why they matter? (laughs) Yeah, I think the core message is that uh, we are living in a world where the dominant emotion is increasingly becoming fear. And while I think that fear is a very understandable emotion, given the the changes going on in our world, I also view it as a very limiting emotion and ultimately can be very dysfunctional if we give into the fear. And so the focus of the book is how do we, first of all, acknowledge the fear, because I think many of us are unwilling to even acknowledge that we have fear. 
but then make the journey beyond fear so that we can cultivate emotions that will help us to have much more impact that's really meaningful to us. And in that context, I focus on three pillars. And I should mention that the book is based in part on my own personal journey, yeah. go back through my life and lessons I've learned on this journey, but then also decades of research that uh, is related to this, this uh, quest. And so the, the three pillars and the challenge here is I've, I, I use the terms, but I have very different meanings to them than most people. So the three pillars that I talk about are narratives, passion, and platforms. And so each of those, I think, has a role to play. I view narratives as a real catalyst uh, for us to really uh, cultivate the emotions that matter to us. But I, I hasten to say, and we could go into this if you want, I make a big distinction between stories and narratives. Most people view them as the same thing. I think there's a significant difference that can and should be made. And then this, the second pillar is around passion. And again, everybody uses passion with different meaning. It's got an infinite number of definitions. I'm focused on a very specific form of passion that I call the passion of the explorer. And I think that's really the fuel that will help us to make this journey once we can find it and cultivate this passion. And then finally, the third pillar is platforms. And again, everybody uses the term platforms. I'm focused on a very specific type of platform that I call learning platforms. And I think that's the, um, the accelerant that can help us as we make this journey to expand our impact dramatically. So those are the three pillars. Okay. So let's, you know, you mentioned um, that this book was more personal. This is, this book's kind of different from your previous writings. Uh, <laughs> it, it is personal. And, and some might even say uh, that you're, you know, you're, you're vulnerable. Uh, you share your stories from your own childhood, uh, painful lessons you learned along the way. And I think through your own story, you show that growth is not necessarily a straight line, but rather an experimental progression of steps, missteps, reflection, learning. So based upon what you've learned in your own journey, what is the most important message that you would like to share with C-suite leaders? Wow. Um, so many messages. I think for the, for the C-suite leaders, I would say, first of all, to really um, acknowledge the importance of emotions in driving business performance. I think so many business leaders, we live in business cultures where emotions are a distraction. Just focus on the numbers and the analysis and everything will work out. If we don't understand that we're dealing with people, both in terms of within our company, as well as our customers and partners outside the company, if we don't understand that we're dealing with people and that ultimately their actions are going to be driven by their emotions, we're going to lose. And I think in particularly in a world that's more rapidly changing now where fear is the dominant emotion, if we, do, if we ignore it, we're going to lose because fear is ultimately very dysfunctional. So um, that would probably be my key, last, key message. So, you know, you're right. Uh, uh, emotion, the expression of emotion is often discouraged as inappropriate in the work environment. 
And obviously you see it differently. And you mentioned before uh, the importance of what you call the passion of the, of the explorer and how that's an important factor for both personal and institutional growth. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Why is this so? And how can we channel passion so that it promotes openness rather than closed-mindedness? Yeah, I think uh, the, the, this focus on the passion of the explorer emerged from research that I did where I was looking at environments where there's sustained extreme performance improvement. And I wanted to find out what are the elements, common elements in all those environments. And despite the great diversity, I was looking at everything from business environments to extreme sports environments, but everywhere we saw sustained extreme performance improvement, all the participants had a very specific form of passion. And I came to call it the passion of the explorer. But one of the key elements of the passion of the explorer is this learning mindset. They are driven to learn, to get more and more impact. They realize that no matter how smart and talented they are, there's an opportunity to learn even more and have even more impact. So they're driven to learn. And I think that, and, and welcome challenges and change. I think, mm. you know, in, in the work environment today, if we're confronted with an unexpected challenge, we try to ignore it or we try to kludge it, but the key is to get back to the work that we were assigned. No, the passion of the explorer, people who have that are seeking out those challenges because it's an opportunity to learn and have even more impact. And I, I'll, I'll make a distinction too. I, I think in the work environment today, um, everyone's focused on measuring worker engagement. That's the key to success. And definitions, again, vary, but broadly, worker engagement means do you like the work you do? Do you like the people you work with? And do you respect the company you work for? That's an engaged worker. And there's certainly evidence that engaged workers perform at a higher level than non-engaged workers, so great. But the key question is, where in this focus on engagement is this quest to learn and have even more impact over time mm -hmm. and to welcome change, to seek change. Because again, I think the challenge with engaged workers is you go to them and you say, your work is gonna have to change mm -hmm. at a fundamental level. You know, they, they're resistant. Wait a minute, I like the work I'm doing. Don't change anything, it's good. This is what I wanna do versus the passionate worker who says, oh my God, yes, let's change. Let's, it'll give us a way to get more impact. And that's the key and constant change is their, their quest. So I think in a world of rapid change, accelerating change, having people who have this passion of the explorer are really um, what we need to see. So what I hear you say, yeah, go ahead, sorry. I was just gonna say, I'm sorry, I was going on a, a bit too long, but you asked what can leaders do in, in terms of drawing out this passion. I think many things, and that's again, the focus of a lot of my work, but I'll, I'll highlight one key thing, which is the shift in leadership models. I think today, and I'm gonna generalize, but the mark of a strong leader is someone who has an answer to all the questions. No matter what the question is, you can count on the leader to have the answer. I believe in this, new world that we're going into, the big shift, 
The mark of a strong leader is the one who has the most powerful questions and who will freely admit they don't have an answer and ask for help. And I think that sends a strong message to the organization, to the workforce, that number one, questions are not only good, but necessary, because in most work environments, questions are a distraction, just read the manual and do the job. No, questions are critical because we're in a rapidly changing world and asking for help is also important. You know, no matter how smart you are, you're gonna to get to a better answer faster if you ask for help. And that's a very different culture and draws out the passion of the explorer because people get excited and inspired by these questions and say, oh my God, this is really worth pursuing. Let's come together and do it. So what I'm hearing is passion and explorers, I mean, they're just naturally open-minded and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think that this shift in leadership mindset is so critical that it's no longer about the right answers. It's about the right questions. And I think strategy is not about plans because plans assume you have the answer when you start with. Strategy today is discovery. So I really like this concept of the passionate explorer. Let's stick with this a little bit. Uh, you make a contrast between passionate explorers and true believers in your book. Can you talk about that? Yes. Now, I, I, again, I, part of my effort was to actually develop a taxonomy of passion because, again, it has so many different meanings and manifestations. And one key contrast I draw is between the passion of the explorer and the passion of the true believer. Mm -hmm. People who have this, the passion of the true believer they can describe in infinite detail the destination of where we're going. I know exactly where we where we're going to where we're headed and what it involves and I know every step we need to take along the way. So just follow that path and we'll get there. And I think the 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 mind of the passion explorer uh, the uh, True believer is a closed mind. It's don't ask any questions, just follow the leader, follow the path and let's get there. Versus the passion of the explorer, which is all about, they can describe at a very high level what the opportunity might be out in the future that excites them and motivates them. But they recognize they have no real view of detailed view of what that opportunity is gonna become. And they can also tell you maybe one or two first steps that they think is most helpful to get start the journey, but they freely acknowledge they don't know all the steps that are gonna be required. They're open-minded. They have the learning mindset that really helps them to learn as they go. This is a whole different thinking paradigm on the part of leadership. You know, um, I know if you're familiar with the work of the psychologist, Daniel Kahneman, her name is Tversky. Um, uh, you are okay. And, and, you know, Kahneman won the Nobel prize. He's a psychologist, but he gets a Nobel prize in economics because he disproves their fundamental premise that, uh, that, uh, people are rational decision makers, um, in their groundbreaking work, they demonstrated that a lot of our judgments and decision-making that in doing that people are highly prone to cognitive biases, no matter how confident they may feel about their thinking. Their work showed that most of us are clueless about our cognitive biases, including people we regard as experts. And Tversky put it this way, not only are we blind, 
but more importantly, we're blind to our blindness. So as I, as I listen to you, what I'm hearing is, I think one of the dangers of the true believer is that they are trapped into cognitive biases because they assume they start with the answers. But that, that what, the, what I'm hearing in terms of uh, the passionate explorer is it is a person who is aware of the fact that I, I, I don't know the answers. I may have cognitive biases. And if I'm going to succeed, I have to get on a path where I question the very foundations of what I think and always look for the questions. So as, as people construct personal and group narratives, and narratives is one of the pillars you mentioned is important before, is this blindness a concern and how can people correct for it? No, it's a big concern. I think the challenge, again, in a rapidly changing world, and that's a key element of this big shift that I talked about is the accelerating pace of change. Anything we know today is becoming obsolete at an accelerating rate. You know, no matter what experience and degrees and certifications we've, we've achieved, that knowledge is becoming obsolete at an accelerating rate. And so we absolutely need to be focused on learning and acquiring new knowledge and coming together to do that. So we're not just doing it in isolation, but we're doing it as part of groups mm -hmm. uh, that share that passion. And I think the role of a narrative is a way to help bring people together around framing at a high level, an opportunity that's really exciting and inspiring out in the future, but then a call to action that says this opportunity is not going to manifest by itself. We have to take action and we have to learn because there are a lot of obstacles and challenges along the way. But if we come together, we're going to learn faster and get there in, in a more a richer and more meaningful way. So. Yeah. You know, when I read the book, I was I was really enticed by this notion of identifying opportunities. And then you mentioned they're not guaranteed. We, we've got to do proactive work. And, and when I read this, I immediately thought of big tech and what I believe is their missed opportunity. And, and I think they're missing huge opportunities. For example, in the original versions, Google and Wikipedia were held up, rightly so, as examples of endless opportunities for how mass collaboration and collective intelligence were going to change the world for the better. And the way I look at them now, I think they have evolved into the most centralized bureaucracies we've ever seen. Larry Sanger, the co-founder of Wikipedia, has recently pointed out these platforms are no longer neutral. They've morphed into these highly centralized operations. If we're gonna realize opportunities, what do we have to do, not just to think and act differently, but how do we sustain thinking and acting differently? Because I think that big tech, the promise we saw 20 years ago is, is just evolving. And I think we need a new set of uh, a new big, a new technological revolution that is, uh, that is going to once again, reinvigorate the whole idea that we can leverage both mass collaboration and collective intelligence. What would what are your thoughts on that? Oh boy, <laughs> a lot of thoughts again. I think that um, you know I agree that uh, we've become focused on platforms in a very narrow sense. I, I talk about aggregation platforms, 
where it's all about short-term transactions, buying and selling products, or uh, social platforms where it's just all about connecting people and sustaining relationships, friends, family, networks. I, I think that the, the real need is to look ahead. I, I, I talk in, in my work around a, a approach to strategy called Zoom Out, Zoom In. And I think the first step here is to look ahead 10 to 20 years, zoom out, and really see what's the biggest unmet need in terms of platforms. And I would say, in a rapidly changing world with mounting performance pressure, the biggest unmet need of platforms is designing them so it helps us to learn faster together and not learning in the form of listening to lectures and, and workshops that, that are presented, but learning in the form of creating new knowledge, not just sharing existing knowledge. And that occurs through action, not just sitting in a room somewhere. So it's <clears throat> what kind of platform would help people to learn through action together and make that the primary design goal. And so that would be a zoom out. That's a huge unmet need. We all have a need to learn faster together. Platform that could address that need would be hugely successful. And then the zoom in is, okay, if that's the big opportunity, in the next six to 12 months, what are some steps we could take to start to design and deploy those platforms so that we could start to demonstrate real impact as soon as possible? not over-design and just try to do everything all at once. What's the staging of this platform that would allow us to show real impact very quickly? And that gives more confidence to people that this really is achievable, that this is worth pursuing. And so it motivates people even more to come together and help build and deploy these platforms. Can you talk, let, let's stay with this idea of platforms for a bit, because I, uh, this is, I mean, when we first saw the internet, it, it's, it's wide open and, uh, and, and the notion of platforms has emerged. And I think it's a very important, one of the strong pillars in your thinking. How do we assure that these platforms are built in a way that contribute to the expansion of learning, to exploration, as opposed to uh, what we're seeing now is a tremendous amount of censorship. I mean, when, when we're in a world where Nobel laureates are censored from platforms, I find that disturbing. Whether I agree with a Nobel laureate or not, that the very notion that Nobel laureates can be thrown off of platforms, that to me is, is a great danger. How do we assure that we're building strong, constructive platforms and, 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 and not... Uh, and not dangerous platforms. No, uh, <clears throat> it's certainly not an easy uh, task. I, I wouldn't in any way minimize the, the effort that's going to be required. And I think it starts again with this notion of emotions. Yeah. I think a lot of the issue with platforms today is <clears throat> we're driven by fear. We don't want to be exposed to things that, that upset us or challenge us. You know, that's, that's not what we want. We just want to connect with people who share our beliefs and, <clears throat> you know, we'll, we'll reinforce our beliefs. Yeah. Um, and so I think it starts with this notion of, no, that's again, a very limiting emotion, especially when we're in a rapidly changing world, we need to be constantly challenging our beliefs and our, our views of the world. And 
So seeking out platforms that will encourage that and, and support that is, is going to be critical. Okay. You know, um, one of the things I, I liked in your book is as you talk about fear and, and, the, and, the, and the, the really negative consequences that fear can cause, we can fall prey to a zero-sum view of the world that leads us to distrust others and assume if they win, we lose. And I think that's part of what's happening with this censorship is, is we don't trust you. And, uh, and if you win, we're going to lose. And, and I, I, think we, I think we need to pay attention to the people that we initially want to censor because they may see something we don't. But when I read this in your book, I, I thought of Stephen Covey and two of his fundamental habits, the first being seek first to understand and then to be understood. And the other is to think win-win. And I have to say that in my own professional career, when I stumbled across these 20 years ago, it radically changed my own leadership approach because I recognized I wasn't a person who thought to understand first. I was operating from the standpoint, I had all the answers and that's why I'm in this job. And, and I found his advice very humbling, but I also like this whole notion of win-win that if you take that approach, I, I think that's that's the essence of, of open-mindedness. So um, uh, can you talk a little bit more about uh, uh, about this? Do you see similar connections and, and, and uh, what can you do to encourage our audience to, to think more win-win and less win-lose, which we seem to be seeing a lot of these days? No, absolutely. Again, I think this is a consequence of fear. We shrink our time horizons. It's all about today. Today, the resources are given. It's you know whatever's there. The only question is who's going to get them. So I think moving beyond the fear and I, I, in the in the bigger context of the big shift, I, a key paradox of the big shift is on the one side, <clears throat> the forces, long-term forces that are reshaping our global economy and society are creating mounting performance pressure on all of us, intensifying competition, accelerating change, extreme disruptive events, a lot of pressure. That's the reason we're seeing fear. The, the challenge is at the same time, the paradox is at the same time, the forces are creating exponentially expanding opportunity. We can create far more value with far less resource, far more quickly, than would have been imaginable a few decades ago. And that cultivates the win-win mindset. It's this notion of, oh my God, there's gonna be so much value created, we can all share in it. Let's do this together. But the challenge is if you're driven by fear, you're just focused on today, you can't even see the opportunities out mm. in the future, much less have the motivation to pursue them. So again, that's part of the reason I'm so focused on recognizing the limitations of fear and cultivating emotions that will help us to not only see the opportunities, but actively pursue them together. You know, one of the comments in your book that really resonated with me is that you believe psychology is as important a factor in performance as strategy. And I found that really interesting. Uh, why is this so? And how can leaders leverage this factor to improve performance? 
No, well, again, I was a key catalyst for the book was this, uh, you know, in my career, I was a business strategist. It was all about strategy, right strategy, you win. Um, over the years, I've come to see that psychology is actually much more important. If we don't understand the emotions that are shaping our choices and actions, good luck. The best strategy is just going to sit on a shelf somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so it's this notion of really recognizing that emotions ultimately are what drive our behaviors, our actions, and then recognizing the need to, to uh, address the, the fear that increasingly is holding us back. And finding ways as leaders to cultivate emotions like the passion of the explorer that will motivate people, excite people about mm-hmm. the opportunity to learn faster and achieve much more value over time. Yeah. You know, I, one of my own observations is as I look at leaders, especially in traditional organization, I, I think an emotion that drives them, and it's almost... Uh, built into their mental DNA is the emotion of control, which I think is extremely dangerous because that quickly can get you into this fear-based mindset that you you, you write about. Um, My experience as an executive was if you focused on the emotion of understanding, and if your job is not to amass the most amount of control, But if my job as a leader is to have the broadest expanse of shared understanding that you wind up cultivating a culture and environment of positive emotion. But if you lead by control, you inadvertently wind up creating an environment of of negative emotion. And that's why I like this idea of, of get past fear, ask questions, explore, because those are the things you do to promote understanding. But when you're shutting people down, I got the answer, don't say anything. <clears throat> you're really setting things up for, for the, uh, the emotion of control. And, and I, I think most people don't react well to that. Can you give some examples of either companies or leaders, uh, some specific examples uh, of, of, of people or companies who are, are practicing the skills that you talk about in the book? Well, um, not really. I mean, again, there are a lot of entrepreneurial companies where okay. <clears throat> this kind of mindset and, and leadership approach is, is prevalent. But even there, I mean, you mentioned I've been in Silicon Valley for a long time. I'd say that in Silicon Valley, the, the entrepreneurs that I run into Many of them have the passion of the explorer as their, as their motivator, but many of them are driven by this passion of the true believer. I know where we're going. I yeah. know what we need to do to get there. And it's all about just follow me or, or get out. And I think, again, it's this notion of really um, building a, a sense of we all, the world is changing no matter how much we know. We're going to have to learn even more, and we can do that better together through questions. And, and I think that's unfortunately um, an area where it's, I, I will say, you know, one company that's interesting to me in this regard, a larger company, because again, entrepreneurial companies have a yeah. lot of this. By the way, one of the, um, the tragedies I see in Silicon Valley is for many successful entrepreneurs, once they go public and start to scale, 
the investors start to this notion of we need to bring in adult supervision. We need to bring in senior experienced executives who can help this company to scale. And they bring in this culture of control and processes and standardization and no questions. And they crush that culture that ultimately was the key to success in the beginning. So I think that there's a, a challenge there. I was going to mention one larger company that <coughs> I think has some interesting um, uh, promise is, is Novartis. Um, the, and that they've come to really focus on curiosity as a key capability. And, it, and again, I, I'll, I'll say that most companies today, they talk about skills. You know, we need to upskill, we need to reskill, we need to develop skills. Skills, again, definitions matter. Skills are valuable in a specific context. It could be operating this machine in this environment. I make a distinction and say, we need to focus on capabilities. And the capabilities are valuable in every context. And one of the key capabilities in this rapidly changing world is curiosity. If you're not curious and asking all these questions and wanting to explore and excited about new situations, good luck. And so Novartis has really focused on, on this notion of cultivating curiosity in the entire organization. And I think that's important too. And by the way, not just curiosity in, in the research labs or the innovation centers, curiosity in every employee in every department of the company. Asking questions is key to learning. How confident are you that the current crop of business leaders that we have running companies today can accomplish this shift in mindset that you write about? <laughs> well, I'm not confident that they all can do it. So mm -hmm. I, I believe, you know, one of the key things that I look at in the big shift is the increasing mortality rate of companies. I mean, <laughs> companies are, leading companies are falling out of leadership positions at an accelerating rate. So I think it's it's a, a, a key warning sign that our current leadership approaches are not sufficient and we need to find other approaches to address this, uh, this new world we're in. So I, I think, but I do think that this pressure on the one side creates a, a, a catalyst to say, you know, if we just keep doing what we're doing, it's not going to work. Yeah. And it can be a catalyst to step back and say, what could we do differently that would help us to really uh, achieve much more impact? And I think that's, I think some leaders will will start to see that the, the approach they're pursuing is, is increasingly uh, yielding limited results. And so that can be a motivator. And then I think there are others, again, uh, they're few and they get tend to get uh, exited from companies, but a few leaders, I think, can, can develop this passion of the explorer and really themselves get excited about the fact that there's so much change and that they need to change and learn and and help inspire and drive the rest of the organization to, to pursue a different approach. How much does innovation and the need for innovation tie in with uh, the thinking behind uh, uh, the journey beyond fear? 
<laughs> no, it's central at one level. Again, I, I worry about the definitions because mm -hmm. in my experience with large companies, when I talk about innovation, they're talking about innovation and new products and services that they can deliver to the market. And yes, that's important for sure. But to me, innovation ultimately is finding new approaches to have more impact and create more value anywhere in the organization. It's not just in the product development area, it's throughout the organization. How can we innovate to have even more impact in whatever we're doing and innovate on a constant basis, not just you know every three or five years, step back and do some innovation. No, it's that notion of, in a, in a rapidly changing world, we have all have the opportunity and need to innovate and come up with new approaches that are gonna have more impact and value. Yeah, I, I, it sounds to me like your three pillars are a pathway uh, to, to be poised for innovation. Is, is there anything that we haven't covered today that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, <laughs> God, uh, we, uh, we would need hours and hours and hours. I think, um, We've covered a lot of ground. I think that um, one thing I would just emphasize is, I, again, I'm going to generalize, but every or large company that I know has a digital transformation program. You know, we're doing transformation. But when I push underneath and try to understand what they're doing, they're, the programs are actually applying digital technology so that they can do what they've always done faster and cheaper. And the, the uh, metaphor that I like to use is transformation is about moving from a caterpillar to a butterfly mm -hmm. and just making the caterpillar walk faster. That may be helpful and valuable to the caterpillar, but it's not transformation. It's still a caterpillar. <laughs> How do we step back and really challenge the most basic assumptions about what business are we in? What business should we be in? to create the most value yeah. and drive transformation at that fundamental level, and then focus on all the implications throughout the organization. It's not incremental, is it? <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I believe, John, you're creating a new organization that will serve as a learning platform to bring people together as they make their own journeys beyond fear. Can you tell us more about that and how people can join your new platform? Yeah, no, it's it's my next chapter in my life. I, I just published the book, so it, it's uh, just come out. I'm focused on helping to spread the word on that. But sometime later this year, my plan is to set up a new center that will offer programs to help people on this journey. And <clears throat> one of the key, so there'll be programs around how do you uh, evolve your personal narrative? How do you uh, find and cultivate passionate explorer? start to participate in learning platforms. But a key element in, the, in my concept of this center is, and a key message in the book is that if we're gonna make this journey, we should not just do it solo. We need to come together into small groups. I call them impact groups, three to 15 people. And so a key goal of the center is to help people find and connect with an impact group so that they can do this together and then support that impact group through the journey, through coaching and other kinds of services to help them achieve even more impact. And essentially, if you're interested, 
I urge you to come to my website, johnhagel.com. I have a page where I, I ask for people who have interest to sign up and uh, I'll be keeping in touch regarding the, the launch of the center and the programs that are available and, and also um, seeking people who want to actually help in developing the programs for sure. Well, good luck with that, John. Once again, the book is The Journey Beyond Fear, Leverage the Three Pillars of Positivity to Build Your Success. John, thank you for your wisdom and your time. It has been a real pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity, for sure. Thanks for listening today. Please join us next week for another episode where we will share more engaging stories about the new rules for successfully leading businesses rapidly changing world. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.